0: You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Midland, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered missional family. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit www.redeemermidland.org. Amen, good morning, welcome to Redeemer, so excited that you're here, for those of you in the room, excited that you're here, excited for those of you uh, who listened to the call of action last week and made your way as far forward in the service, Uh, big kudos to you front rowers, I should give you some kind of a gift card or something, so uh, be looking for that, Uh, just a small encouragement, every week it would be a big help to us if you could do that, Uh, find your way as far forward into the uh, chairs as you can so that we make room for some people that are coming in in the back. Uh, My name is Jason Hatch, I'm the lead and the teaching pastor here at Redeemer Uh, and today I want to invite you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, We are doing a series to kick off the year called What If, uh, where we're looking at some pretty strategic texts about who we are uh, as a church and who we are as God's people, uh, being salt and light in uh, the city where God has planted us. Uh, And today, what I want to unpack and talk about as we pose really some what if questions uh, is generosity. Everybody say generosity. Generosity. I know, you're super excited because normally everybody's excited when the pastor starts talking about money. Uh, I want to set a couple ground rules before we get going. Really today, uh, sometimes preachers, they'll say they're preaching a sermon or a a series on generosity, uh, but really what they're doing is kind of using that as the the Trojan horse to to preach a little sermon on tithing uh, or giving. Uh, Let me just say, that's not what I'm doing, okay? Tithing is an action uh, that I'm all for, I think. Honestly, that's the biblical model that God uh, has designed things for uh, Christians to be involved in local churches, to give 10% of their income to a church that's faithful to the Bible that uh, is making disciples, planting churches, and doing things in the city. So I believe that's true, uh, but that's not what I'm talking about today. But do you like how I just kind of slid it in there? Uh, tithing is an action, generosity is an attitude. Uh, and so the attitude of generosity is really what I want to spend some time um, today talking about. Um, and, and we do this often in order to understand something, and especially something uh, that maybe we have, we're have we fairly familiar with. Sometimes it's, it's good to look at the opposite of that. And so I want to start with greed. Uh, I want to start with looking at greed because I want to make a case that I think the opposite of greed is actually not giving, but it's generosity. Uh, and I think all of us would probably agree we don't like greed. Uh, if you know somebody that's greedy, if you have ever seen a greedy uh, politician or a, uh, or a lawsuit where it was just uh, willing to steamroll somebody's lives just to get rich or uh, a person that you know or somebody in your family, I think we would just, no doubt, we would agree we just don't like greed. We think it's bad for society. Uh, we probably think greediness is bad for cities, for churches, for families, uh, right? If we uh, just kind of all sat down around a table and talked about greed, we would all be fairly uh, frustrated with it. Uh, And it's actually a sin. So Jesus talks about it a handful of times and and Paul talks about greed being a sin. And so I want to read uh, a word uh, from the mouth of Jesus talking about this idea. It's from Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Uh, Jesus says, watch out, and in my Bible, there's an exclamation point. It's a very emphatic statement. He's like, "You better be careful. You need to open your eyes. You need to watch out and be on your guard against all kinds of greed." And he does that because greed is a sin. It wreaks some havoc on uh, on on people, on on families, on churches, on on cultures, on societies. So Jesus says, uh, "Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, because life does not consist." In an abundance of possessions. And I would make the case starting out that I just don't know that we as uh, American Christians, uh, myself included, uh, take as much care as Jesus would encourage us to, to be very careful and to actively guard against and watch out for greed. Our entire society is built upon trying to to force us towards greediness. We're a, we're a culture of material possessions and materialism and and consumerism, where most of the message w- messages we're getting from birth have to do with uh, amass as much net worth as you can, be all about uh, you, and use your your money and your resources and your things and your time, find kind of for you. That's what we hear, and so I th- I just I, I wonder if we should really take a pause and consider in a new way how adamant Jesus was about us being incredibly careful, watching out, and being on guard, he says, against all kinds of greed. And I I think this is one of the things that we probably need to agree with before we keep going, um, that while I, I think I could say with certainty, we all, we all hate greed. We hate when we see it. We hate uh, it, it, the effects that it has. Uh, but th- this is how sometimes Christians will tune something out. We think, oh, I hate that. Therefore, I must not be guilty of it. But can't we all agree we can hate something and be guilty of it all at the same time? Right? We can hate something and be guilty of it all at the same time. Um, You know, I I could tease out a lot of different uh, sins where this is the case, where just because we don't like something doesn't mean that we have conquered that thing. So I think both of these things are true. Uh, We can understand and recognize and be frustrated with the sin of greed, and yet also we need to be acutely aware uh, that we probably struggle with it and need to take Jesus' words and heed his advice uh, to watch out and to be on guard against greed. Why? A few things. Why, why is it even a sin? Why does Jesus go out of his way uh, to try to keep us from falling into this temptation of greed, from taking on this uh, internal posture of greed? Uh, I'll show you this as we go through the text, but a few things. Um, greed and contentment, they're, they're enemies, right? They, they rarely occupy the same space. So if you want to be content, like you legitimately want in your soul to be satisfied and content with what you have, no matter what that amount is, then you cannot arrive in that destination and be greedy. Like in order to be on a path towards satisfaction and contentment, then we have to learn to be on guard against greed. That's the first thing. Second thing, um, greed is just at its essence, it's self-serving, which is the antithesis of really the character of the God we serve and the command to love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, it's impossible to be others-focused, like an agape type of uh, love towards others, and be greedy, which is just a focus on self. It, it, greed is uh, it, it's an enemy of contentment. It is self-serving. Uh, and it also fails um, to meet the needs of others. If somebody has a need and they and I become aware of it if I'm greedy I will not be able to meet their need or to help provide uh, some type of help or assistance that they might need so there's a variety of reasons that greed is a sin and that Jesus warns us of it uh, and I peruse the internet and uh, that's always a great place to start right if you're looking for things that are true and I just kind of typed in what's the antidote to greed if we all agree we don't like greed it's detrimental to all sorts of things we hate it we want to work against it and then you just kind of type in what's the antidote to greed. Then a lot of things I, I saw said giving. Said the antidote to greed is giving. And I just want to tell you everything you read on the internet is not necessarily true. Write that down. Uh, the antidote to greed is not giving, okay? You can give and be greedy. You can give for very selfish reasons, for uh, uh, accolades, for uh, the spotlight, for tax uh, you know, write-offs. There's a lot of ways that you can give, and it still doesn't deal with the greed in our hearts. So the antidote for g- greed, it's not giving, that's an action, it is generosity, and they're very different right? Giving and generosity, although sometimes they kind of get lumped in the, same, uh, in the same bucket, they're very different things. And, and especially with a topic like this, words matter, right? Uh, and the slight difference between giving and generosity could be the difference between uh, contentment or not, or, or joy or not, or being generous or not. Uh, words matter. Uh, we had a friend come over to our house yesterday and she is a uh, vegetarian, and we eat a lot of meat at our house, and so I hear this conversation. She's telling uh, my son, my, my six-year-old, that uh, I'm a vegetarian, and uh, Hudson, my six-year-old, he says, uh, that's okay, we're, we're, we're cannibals, and I was like, okay, buddy, I, th- I think you're trying to say carnivores, which, uh, I guess, like very technically, we're, we're omnivores, but we're, we're pretty dang close to carnivores. And I was like, "Buddy, there's a words matter, okay? Words matter. There's a difference between being a carnivore and being a cannibal, uh, words matter, and so this person may or may not uh, ever come back to our house again, but words matter. The antidote to greed is not giving, it's a generosity, which is a place, uh, like a a, a, a a health or a, f- a function of our heart. It's an attitude um, that we're supposed to have. Um, so in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, um, this is what's going on. I'll give you a little bit of a backdrop because this chapter may be uh, new. New to you. Uh, Paul is writing uh, the book of 2 Corinthians. So the Apostle Paul is the author, uh, and there's a few different churches that you need to know about. Uh, he is writing to the church, obviously, in Corinth, um, but he is going to uh, bring in two other churches. One uh, is the church in Macedonia, which was, uh, at that point of time, uh, northern Greece, and he's going to use them as an example. Uh, and he talks a little bit about um, the church, or he alludes to the church in Jerusalem, uh, where the Jews their brand new Jewish Christians were very, very poor. And what he is trying to do uh, is he is uh, basically, he's, he's started a GoFundMe almost um, before GoFundMes were cool. Uh, what was taking place is there was a lot of new Christians in Jerusalem, right? In, in Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, uh, there were Jewish people, and many of them were unbelievably and extremely poor, and, they, you know, they weren't poor like we would say in our context. We're below the poverty line uh, with a lot of the government assistance we have. There's still the ability to stay alive. Uh, in his context, the poverty meant, like, the, the legitimately could not meet their needs to potentially stay alive through a, a bad winter. That the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem were incredibly poor. And so Paul starts out to go around to different churches and to try to raise money from different churches um, so that he can send it back to uh, take care of these very physical needs in Jerusalem. And I think as you read through this, and part of this comes out in the middle of Acts when, uh, when when he comes down from Antioch to Jerusalem and finds out that there was a lot of poverty and they could do something about it. But if you really kind of peel back the layers, I think there was a handful of reasons why Paul was trying to raise this this money or open this fund for the poor Christians uh, in Jerusalem. One, I think it's obviously probably pretty self-apparent, that uh, he wanted to help some poor folks. He wanted to do something very physical um, to serve the poor. Second thing, I think uh, he wanted to use this as a a teaching moment or an opportunity for these other churches to learn what it means to live uh, very generously with a posture of generosity. And then I also think he was very strategic in trying early on um, to get churches not to be territorial, uh, but to partner together and work together, especially uh, the the Gentile churches towards the Jewish churches. So there's a lot of reasons Paul is raising money uh, for the church, but what he does As he goes around to some churches, he explains what's taking place with the church in Jerusalem, he raises some money, and then one church's response just blows him away, catches him off guard. It's the church in Macedonia, which uh, you find out in the text that we're about to read, they were a very uh, poor church with a lot of suffering and a lot of affliction, and the way that they responded to Paul raising money caught him off guard, and so he uses that example... Of the Macedonians' generosity, when he's trying, when he's writing this letter to the Corinthians, trying to encourage them on their path towards um, generosity. So, uh, if you want to learn, if if we all agree, we don't like greed, we hate it, we hate the effects of it, we realize that we might even hate it and also uh, be struggling with it ourselves. So, if if, if you want to learn about a lifelong posture of generosity, this text that we're about to read, uh, it, it's, a, it's a very important text that should become uh, very important to your heart to think about it, uh, to meditate on it, uh, probably to come back to it often. So if you are in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, give me a hearty ready. If you don't have a Bible, it will be here on the screen for you as well. The Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth, he says this, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Right? He's calling attention to what took place in northern Greece with the churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this was not as we expected, uh, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us, uh, but before we move on, because then he, he's just kind of explaining what took place in Macedonia. Uh, in a moment, he's going to turn his attention back to Corinth. But before he does, I want to just kind of do do a little anatomy of generosity here, uh, almost like an autopsy of this church in Macedonia and these few these five verses that we just looked at. Uh, and so I'm going to go through these fairly quickly. Uh, there's eight things that I saw when I was just trying to say, okay, what what happened? What are the things that we can do an autopsy on and notice uh, about this group of people? That Paul says just surprised him with their generosity. And I know the last few weeks all of my points have been coming in groups of seven, uh, and I accidentally got eight, so we'll call this seven uh, with a bonus. Y'all ready? Verse one, just like anatomy of generosity, this is what I saw. Paul links their financial gift or their financial giving with the grace of God says that uh, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches. Uh, Well, they didn't give grace, they gave money, but Paul says that the grace of God was tied up in their gift, and their gift was truly uh, a conduit of grace which means that they were giving out of grace they weren't giving out of compulsion um, they didn't buy into kind of this uh, this prosperity gospel that listen if you give your money then God will uh, return the favor he'll he'll owe you he'll bless you he'll'll he'll, he'll do whatever it is like th- they had already been filled up with the blessings of Christ so much so that their giving was out of grace not for it that's the first thing I noticed um, it was, their, their giving was a conduit of God's grace second thing in verse 2 it says that their generosity was driven by overflowing joy i mean they were they had so much joy it was overflowing that that that's key to generosity number 3 this is also in verse 2 that their generosity was uh, in spite of, quote, severe affliction and extreme poverty. And and most of us would rarely put those two things in the same sentence. Uh, Just incredible affliction, severe affliction, not even affliction. And when Paul says severe affliction, it's bad. Okay, And he doesn't just say poverty, he says extreme poverty. and, And their generosity flowed out of that situation. And one of the things you learn is generosity really has... Nothing to do with your net worth. A lot of people kind of in the back of our minds probably think, I'll wait to be generous until X. Um, This kind of shatters that mentality. Um, uh, Number four, this is in verse 3, their gift hurt. Uh, It was costly. Paul phrases it this way. uh, They gave beyond their means. Um, They gave within their means, and then they kept going, and it hurt them. It cost them something. Uh, Number five, uh, this is verse three also, their generosity, Paul goes out of his way to say that it came from inside of them, not from Paul uh, coercing them to do it. Uh, He says it this way, of their own accord, Um, they gave of their own accord. That that means something inside of them had taken place that compelled them to give. Uh, Not even Paul writing this letter and giving them the opportunity to give, that was just kind of the spark, but the kindling was already there, something inside of them. Um, Number 6, in verse 4, it says that they begged earnestly, which means they were actually excited to give. They were were begging earnestly, like, Paul, please, 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 let us give, let us give, let us be a part, let us alleviate some problems. We we have to be involved, we want to be involved, we get to be involved. They're begging earnestly, if Paul, can we just please uh, jump in and help meet this need. Number 7, verse 5. Uh, they gave to others because they had, don't miss this one, first given themselves to the Lord. That's what Paul says in verse 5. Paul noticed that the, the reason for their generosity because, was because first, they but they gave themselves first to the Lord. And then number 8, this is your bonus, verse 5, uh, their giving, it seems like, according to what Paul says, uh, was the, God's will. He says, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Uh, I'm not going to jump into all those uh, right now, but as you look at the anatomy of this um, very... uh, I mean, Paul holds this church up as an example and a pattern of their generosity, and that's the few things that I noticed about them when I looked through that. So Paul then takes that, and he's going to challenge the church in Corinth um, to grow. He's going to say, you've grown in a lot of ways, um, but you need to grow in in generosity also. Verse 6, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 6, Paul keeps going. Accordingly, we urged Titus, Titus was a pastor, a church leader that was sent uh, to lead and to oversee some things in the churches of Macedonia there. We urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace, talking very specifically about generosity. But as you excel in everything... And then he gives some examples in faith. So it sounds like the church in Corinth was really growing in their faith. They were truly trusting God and believing God's promises and putting their faith actively in Jesus. Their faith was growing. Uh, Their speech, uh, like they'd cleaned up their speech. They weren't uh, saying the same things that they used to. They weren't uh, potty mouths. They weren't uh, liars. They weren't uh, berating and belittling one another. Their speech had cleaned up uh, through the gospel's work in them. Uh, In faith and speech and knowledge. Uh, they knew some things about, about the gospel and about Jesus that they didn't know. They were growing in knowledge uh, and in all earnestness, so they were genuine with their desire to be disciples and to make disciples, and in our love for you. So see that you excel in this act of grace also. This is Paul saying, you, you're making just some incredible progress in a lot of ways, but don't neglect progress with generosity. Verse 8, he says, I say this not as a command, but to prove the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. He's asking this church, who, who probably hated greed, to learn from the example of the Macedonians to be generous um, because he says that really uh, that, that their, their generousness will actually prove the earnestness of their faith. Okay, so we've got the model church of Macedonia that he describes and then you've got Paul encouraging the Corinthian church towards that, and then he's going to bring it full circle, and he's going to unpack the reason why the Macedonian church was so generous, or really the, the, the ground zero for all of this. Um, th- this is Midland, Texas, right? Uh, and we love stories in Midland, Texas of someone who uh, had nothing, uh, no education, no money, no inheritance, and they moved to Midland and they uh, hit it big and they make a t- ton of money uh, and they just kind of move from uh, rags to riches. Don't we love those stories? Uh, we love those stories and we've got a lot of those stories in Midland. Uh, and-, and the thing about those stories is when you hear those stories like, oh my gosh, this guy had nothing and he had rags and he moved here and he worked so hard and now he's got riches... Uh, we love those stories but we don't ever question those stories we're not like what would drive them to such a thing right cuz we we get it like we know exactly what would cause somebody uh, to work hard and to work uh, you know their way up and to move from rags to riches so it, it's pretty compelling but we we're not really confused by it imagine the opposite if somebody has a lot of riches and they just decide, it's not like you know the economy took their money from them or something went south as business, they, they just decide that they're going to give it in an act of generosity, give it all away and just choose to live in rags. Uh, I think that would probably uh, catch our attention as much as the, um, the, the rags to riches story, but most of us would be like, well, why? What would compel someone to do that? Like, I, I get it. I get it why someone would want to go from uh, rags to riches, but from riches to rags, that just doesn't make any sense, which is verse 9. That, that's where Paul is going to say the story of the generosity of Christ towards us is what actually compelled the generosity of the Macedonians. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, which is an understatement, Right? To, to say that Jesus pre-incarnate was rich is an understatement. All of the riches in the world, he owned all of them. He had all of the servants he could imagine. Uh, just the absence of problems in heaven, in glory. Like, like rich is a, is a very uh, small and anemic way to describe what Jesus had. And he says, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor meaning he, he, he let go of all those things. He let go of his riches. He emptied himself, and he uh, moved into earth uh, and, and grew up in a very poor family, uh, just a situation that is incredibly compelling, yet it's, it kind of begs the question, like, why on earth would he go from riches to rags? And it says, uh, though he was rich, yet for your sake... He became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And so Paul gives us the answer, the the answer behind the most compelling story of generosity ever told. Jesus went from riches to rags. Why? He did it, and he was compelled by love to do it. So then you ask the question, well, what would compel the church in Macedonia? They were compelled by the same type of love because they truly had understood the gospel. That This is the reason the church in Macedonia was so generous. They got the fact that Jesus didn't have to do what he did, and they were the beneficiaries of the generosity of Christ. And they got it so deeply that it affected their money, right? Giving and generosity are not the same thing, although generosity oftentimes leads to giving. So Paul doesn't just say, hey, Corinthians, uh, be like the Macedonians. What he says is in effect, is be like the Macedonians because the Macedonians are doing a pretty good job of being like Jesus. They get it. They get the gospel, so now follow them to steal the words of Paul as they follow Christ. Bring this back around a little bit full circle. Why does God want us to be generous? We talked already a little bit. Why does he not want us to be greedy? Why is that a sin? Why is that something he wants to steer the people that he loves away from? Well, here's the question: Why does God want us to be generous? Uh, a few reasons, but one: generosity leads to blessings, all around to all parties involved. Generosity is a win-win; greed is a lose-lose. If you talk about the giving, the giver and the recipient, I'll pose this question to you: uh, With the uh, the Macedonian church, who were the givers, and the the poor Christians in Jerusalem, who were who were the receivers? Of those two parties, who was blessed? Anybody? Both. The people in Jerusalem got to eat some dinner, got to have a warm coat for the winter. They were they were they were just very physically blessed. And the Macedonian church because they were caught up in in the nature of God to be other centered, they were blessed as well. Uh, greed is lose lose. If a, if, a, if a problem or opportunity presents itself to a greedy person and they withhold it, uh, then the need goes unmet, they're not blessed, and it actually has a detrimental effect on the greedy person. Greed is lose-lose, uh, generosity is win-win, and this is why I say generosity leads to blessing because I'm quoting my favorite author, uh, Jesus. You all ready for this? Acts chapter 20, verse 35. In all these things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, uh, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. And then he quotes Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I ask often, I feel like I need permission every now and then, can I be honest? We struggle to believe that. Every single one of us struggle to believe it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And giving it—that—that's the difference in generosity and greed. This is Jesus saying, "Listen. Might sound counterintuitive, but trust me. I designed the cosmos, and I designed the humans, and I designed uh, everything to to work a certain way. And I'm just telling you, as the the architect behind the blueprints, there's more blessing in being generous than there is in being greedy. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Uh, Tony Evans is a pastor uh, in Dallas, and this is how he phrases it in, in his commentary on this verse. He says, "Indeed." in God's economy, you will be more blessed if you're a spiritual conduit rather than a spiritual cul-de-sac. God wants to work through you so that you will be a blessing to others. If you have the capacity to address a need with your money, with your time, with your encouragement, be used by God to give to and meet that need, and God will return the favor. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than it is to Receive. There was a study I ran across in Psychology Today, uh, which, to my understanding, this was not by any way, shape, or form a Christian study. But you know I love these stories when all this money is poured into research and stuff and they get to the end of this and they just kind of catch up to the Bible. This is one of those instances that this is not a Christian study but has incredibly profound and accurate findings. It was called The Need to Love, and I'm going to take some pretty big quotes from this because I think it's very helpful for us to see how important generosity is and how counterintuitive generosity is. First, this study makes the case that we all know humans have this deep need to be loved, right? Uh, we need to be loved. We need to be nurtured. We need to be held. We need to be touched. And we all know this. Uh, if a baby grows up uh, within a few days or weeks, if they don't get that, uh, th- there's problems. We know that. Innately, part of being human means we have this need to receive, all right? All right? Nothing revolutionary, right? Nothing earth-shattering. Um, the problem is, is that's only half the story, but that's 100% of the narrative of the culture that we live. So this study uh, in, in psychology today um, talks about this legitimate need that we have to receive love, um, but then you've got our culture that has built our entire identity on just this. So if you ask the average American, what do you need to be happy? They will say to receive love or to receive money or to receive gifts. And if you do that, what you do is you create a culture of greed where you've got 350 million Americans that all want to be happy, they want to be blessed, and they all want to do it by receiving. And so everybody's trying with everything in their might, with all their life, to get something. And over time, that breeds greed. And it really gets us into the situation, the problem that I think our country and our culture is in. It's just like we're self-centered, and we think that receiving is going to be the pathway to blessing. And here's where this gets incredibly interesting. I want to quote from this study. They said there's actually, like, all that's legitimate. We have deep needs to, to, to receive, To receive love, to receive affection, but they said, we have actually found that there's an equal and opposite need, that humans have a deep need to give love or to be, in their words, to be generous. Let me read what they said. They said, in our, talking about like Americans, uh, in our pursuit of the need to be loved, however, most of us fail to recognize that we have a parallel need, the need to love and to care for others. This desire, it turns out, is just as strong as the need to be loved and nurtured. It is the desire to love and take care of others that underlies the phenomenon of what they call cute aggression. How many of you, when you were little, you went to see your grandmother and she said, oh, you're so cute, and then she'd pinch the daylights out of your cheeks? That's what this is. Literally, uh, this is their definition. Cute uh, cute aggression is this. It refers to the tendency to pinch or pinch. What what do you all say? Everybody but me, okay, pinch i'm changing that from now on, um, uh, where was I cute aggression refers to the t- the tendency to pinch uh, to hug or to otherwise express love for others, particularly cute babies, kittens, or puppies, in ways that mildly hurt or cause discomfort to the object of our affection that's why grandma did that that 's why she inflicted like you see something cute and there's. Like, you're not all of a sudden defaulting to your desire to get something. There's something inside of you, like, is defaulting to give. You're like, oh, it's so cute. You know, squeeze, squeeze the cheek. Oh, that, that, that puppy is so cute. And then you just want to reach out and touch it. Like, they're, they're saying there's biological things that prove we were designed not just to receive but to actually give. I'll keep reading what they said. This is a long quote, but don't, don't miss this. Hang in here with me. If the need to love... To, to to give, is hardwired and universal, and is also a powerful determinant of happiness, which their studies linked. Then why aren't many of us aware of it? Take the question, what would make you most happy? We do not answer with serving others or showering love on someone, but rather with money or being loved. Maybe the answer has to do with the messages we are re- routinely exposed to from our caretakers and the media. These messages suggest that our happiness lies in being the recipient of others' attention, love, and respect rather than being the donors of attention, love, and respect. For example, they say most of us are explicitly or implicitly told that happiness lies in achieving self-enhancing goals such as career success, wealth, fame, or power. The need to love, don't miss this, the need to love and care for others in contrast is rarely emphasized. So this, I'm, what I'm about to say is coming from a, a non-Christian researcher in psychology today. A well-kept secret to happiness, then, is to practice generosity. And I would say this, it's only a well-kept secret if you don't read the Bible. Right? If you do read the Bible, you're like, oh, it's, it's, he's been trying to get us to be generous like Jesus from the beginning. Which, again, I love the stories when people have tons and tons of degrees. They've gone to, uh, to school for years and years. They've spent millions of dollars on research. And then they come up with like, oh, we came up with this really brilliant thing that no human has ever uncovered. Uh, it's more blessed to give than to receive. You're like, dad, come on, you could have just read the Bible. This is what, uh, the reason I pull this out and share it with you. Because like, the, the world catches up eventually to the reality that Jesus knows what he's doing. They're saying, oh, it's, it's counterintuitive, we don't know why it makes sense, but it turns out you are actually wired to, to receive things, yes, absolutely, but to be generous and to give things. Why? Because God is not a selfish God. He is not all about using his resources for himself. He is a others-oriented God where he likes to use his ability to bless others. How do we know that? Jesus, who was rich for your sake, became poor so that by his poverty we might become rich. Uh, I think it's Ephesians uh, 3 where Paul says that we have like the unsearchable riches of Christ. We have been made rich because of the generosity of Jesus. Because Jesus was willing to go from riches to rags. Why? Because he has the heart of God. He's compelled by love for others. Uh, interesting thing that I don't have time, but I'll do it anyway, real quick. Uh, in this study, uh, Psychology Today, they gave uh, a bunch of participants from 5 to $20. And they asked them, they said, you can go spend that on yourself or someone else. Uh, and it was off the charts. Those who spend it on others had a lot more happiness, and it had nothing to do with the amount. There was no correlation between the 5 and the 20 meaning uh, it's the heart behind it, not always just the amount that determines uh, the blessing of generosity, So, uh, four Four questions that I have for you. If this truly is part of what it means to be disciples of Jesus, to learn to uh, fight against and be wary of greed and to be generous people, four questions that I have for you, what if? What if, number one, we believed there was more blessing in giving than receiving? I read multiple things this week saying this is the most unbelieved beatitude. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. What would happen in our our marriages, in our families, in our community groups, in our churches, in our city, if we truly believe that? And I'm not saying you don't. I'm just saying it's probably a spectrum where all of us could believe this more. Because our spending habits, they're just very simply reflections of what we truly believe. What would happen? Number two, what if... We adopted a modest lifestyle. You, okay, you already gave me permission to be honest. Do y'all remember that? Midland can be an incredibly toxic place to do this. And here's what happens. The moment we get a raise or we close a deal, then we have the opportunity. Are we going to raise our standard of living or raise our standard of giving? This can be a very toxic place where there's so much pressure to just every time we get something, we just ratchet up our standard of living. We upgrade house. We upgrade car. We upgrade kitchen. And I'm not saying, like, please listen to me. I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm really not. But I'm saying the, the reason why most, not just Americans, Christians in the U.S. struggle to be generous is because every time we're given the opportunity, not every time, most times, we very quickly increase our standard of living and so we're like, oh, there's nothing left. It's hard to be generous because I already spent it all. And I don't have a, a percentage for you. You may ask, well, what's a good percentage? Well, the answer is uh, there's not one. I mean, this is always a state of the heart which makes it so difficult. If it was a percentage, Jesus would have written it down for us. But I just think it's something that we, we need to be cognizant of and aware of and try to fight the temptation I think that's probably part of what's behind Jesus saying beware be real careful because there's going to be such strong temptations to take any margin that you're giving and increase your standard of living not increase your standard of giving I've read about people over the years that just made it their goal in life uh, the, you know they, they got raises and they made money and they worked hard and they got to a level where they just were honest like Look, we don't need anymore like, we don't need a bigger house. We don't need a better car. What if from this point on, we just adopt a modest lifestyle and for the rest of our lives, we increase our giving rather than our standard of living? Uh, Laterno, there's a university in East Texas named after him. He adopted this early on and over time, he became what's called a reverse tither. He lived off of 10% and he gave away 90%. And for some of us in the room, we have to, we have to be willing to admit that we don't need all the money that we have to survive on. We can increase our standard of giving, not just our standard of living. Number three, what if? What if we budgeted margin? And I'm talking about budgeting with our time and our money. We kind of create margin in our lives where if an opportunity comes up and a need arises that you become aware of, you are, your answer is, yeah, I've been planning for this, boom. Here, generosity, because uh, it, it's hard to give that if we don't plan it. You know this. Like, if we don't create margin, it doesn't just appear uh, very easily, very quickly. We can spend everything that we have um, so that there's no margin. What if we created margin, put a line item on our budgets, put, put a section in our, in our calendars? We created margin. This is to give, to give money, give time to somebody that is in need. What would happen? What if? Last one, what if we believed, and again, I'm not saying really this is a yes or no. This is a spectrum we all have the ability to grow in. What if we believed deeply that Jesus became poor so that we might become rich? What if we believe what Paul says in Ephesians three that we have been we're, we're filthy rich spiritually. We've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ, and we have that because Jesus emptied Himself of those things, because Jesus humbled Himself, because Jesus gave up servants, He gave up comforts, He gave up uh, what He had in heaven, made Himself poor, so that by His poverty we might become rich. If we truly embrace that and believed that, what would change? What would change? Uh, th- this is one of those sermons that I, tr- or not just sermons, but realities that. unless the Holy Spirit moves in our hearts, it's just—it's rare that things change. So this is what I want to do. I want to invite you where you're to bow your head, to close your eyes, and to give you a moment before I pray for you to pray, uh, and really just to pray that the Holy Spirit would help us to believe these things, to believe that Jesus truly is the model of generosity. And if we embrace that, we believe that it changes us, it affects us all the way down to our money. And if you're like me, just the Holy Spirit sometimes has got to pry some things out of our hands. So right where you're at, let me invite you to bow your head, uh, to close your eyes, and to pray just for a second that the Holy Spirit would uh, would help you, would speak to you, Father of all of the things that we could get from this text, God, I pray that you would help us to have a deep appreciation of Jesus's generosity towards us. God, the cross represents him emptying himself of all that was owed him so that he might serve us well. God, I pray that you would so convince us of that, that all of the things um, that cause generosity uh, would well up in our hearts, that we would learn continually to be others-focused, and that we would give ourselves first to you and then to the needs of others, that we would give uh, when it hurts, that we would be excited uh, That when we give, that our giving would be an overflow of joy. But God, please just convince us um, that we are rich because Jesus has been generous towards us. Father, we have so much opportunity to use our money to make much of you, so help us by the power of your Spirit to be able to do that. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.